0: owned into rap city crime. Shutting down drug corners of the nation's cause. I got guns. I got soldiers. Open up my window.
1: What's up, everybody? Once again, we're here for another edition of Rap City Chronicles podcast. And as usual, I'm your host, co-host, actually, David K. Bradley, also known as D. Brad. And I'm with my main man, the silent hand, Rael, as usual, but today, we wanna welcome a special guest. And before I uh, mention his brother's name, I wanted to remind everyone that the whole purpose of Rap City Chronicles podcast for the hip-hop intellectual is to give flowers, to give crowns to our kings and queens that are unsung so that we can show an example to our youth and our children and let everybody know how everything really is accomplished in television and film. And this brother right here is someone that I've known for a while. And I want to tell a story, but I can't be greedy. i got to let him tell it. Ladies and gentlemen, my brother for life, Mr. Marquan Smith, the creator, of the Godfather of Harlem on epics.
2: Thank you, D. Brad. Appreciate you for having me on your platform and uh, to you too is right. What's going on, brother? How you doing?
1: Man, I'm good, bro. I'm really good. I'm really proud of you. I love your story. As I've told you off camera that I use it with my students. That's inspiration all the time because they watch your show and um, everyone has heard your story. But what I would like you to do for us is explain to the audience how your journey started? I know how it started, so some of my questions may be a little off because I already know. So just bear with me. But just explain to us your journey, um, how it started, how you even got involved in the entertainment industry. What sparked that
2: fire? Yeah. Well, my journey started. My journey started. I think I can go all the way back. So I I, I grew up in Harlem, but was raised in Far Rockaway, Queens, and um myself and my brother, my older brother, Timothy, we always had, uh, I guess music kept him out of the streets and television and music and 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 videos and stuff like that kept me out of the streets, but I was still in the streets. And um, I guess what really got me motivated was when my brother got signed to Uptown MCA Records. Uh, his name is Father MC, Timothy Brown. And uh, when Andre Harrell uh, signed him and I was just, and I was just running the streets. I was doing things that young kids do, in and out of Sparford, out of Division of Youth Homes. And my brother was like, you know, I want you to go on the road with me. In order for me to go on the road, they had to figure out a budget for me to get on the road, you know, so I became a roadie. And for people out there that doesn't know what a roadie is, a roadie did all the grunt work. So I carried coffins, I, I broke down uh, sets, all kinds of things and I was on a road with Tupac. Pop was a good friend of mine. too. he was a roadie for Digital Underground as I was a roadie for Father MC and Treacher was a roadie for Latifah. Wow. So um wow. Yeah, I travel I started traveling, man, and I got to see different cultures and different people and different lifestyles and you know when you you're going across country in a tour bus and you actually seeing that there is a way to make money without being on the streets, without doing anything foul, without having lost any of your heart. I think that's what inspired me. And um, growing up in Far Rockaway, there were things that kept me busy and kept my mind occupied. My mother used to send me to, she used to try to send me to Summer Stop. I used to do theatrical uh, plays. And um, I used to watch movies. I used to watch movies like Rubber Without a Cause, uh, The Waterfront, Down These Mean Streets. While everybody else was watching Breaking and Beat Street, I was watching those movies that people were like, yo, you watching Raging Bull, what's what's that about? You know what I'm saying? So movies like that kept me i guess from it, it drowned out what was going on outside or gunshots and all kinds of negative stuff that was happening and one of my favorite movies was once upon a time in america by sergio Leone. and um i just started gravitating i love the way stories were painted right and i always said to myself that you don't have to color inside the lines you can color outside the lines and still paint a beautiful picture so nice. um fast forward you know i was on the road with my brother and you know at the second album, he did what I call an Andre herodomi He said, you know what, you're fired, right? But it was not like I was fired and I want you out. It was just like, now it's time for you to spread your wings because I may have a third album after this, but then what are you gonna do? You know what I'm saying? You have to uh, go out there and create your own platform, create your own destiny. And I met some great people on the road and I kept in contact with people, you know, from the SWVs to the, to the boys and the, uh boys to men to you know the list goes on from people that you didn't realize were gonna be superstars, they were once opening acts for different acts, you know what I'm saying? So um I just stayed on the road for a little while longer than my brother let me go. I came back home and I got in trouble. I, you know, you know, going back to the neighborhood, you know, my brother's still trying to figure out his situation and I'm I'm back in Far Rockaway. So um I think what really woke me up was in um uh, I, I went away to college. I played basketball, so I went to Sullivan Community College, and then I went to Morgan. I went to HBCU, Morgan, and then after um, I left Morgan, I got in trouble again. I was just getting in trouble, man. And um, <laughs> I had a, I, I had I had a I had a Fed court case, and I, my mother was in a court courtroom with me, and she was like, "In um, hey, the Feds, what they do is they don't sentence you in years, right? So I'm in a courtroom." just 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 hanging out ear hustling and this italian guy comes out and says to his wife hey this is my uh my lawyer he got me 87 months I'm like well, 12 months is a year 24 months is two years i said oh shit!" And i was like and my mother's looking at me and she she has tears in her eyes you know so by the grace of god um I was signed to a label during the time I was going through what I was going through. I was signed to Whitney Houston's label, A Better Place Records. It was called Nippy Inc. Robin right. Crawford actually had brought me over there. When it was Merlin Bob and Sylvia Rowan over at Elektra. They were part of Elektra. And um, I didn't come out. I wasn't making any money. So I was just trying to do whatever I could to make, make ends meet at the time while my brother was out there figuring out where his career was going. And... Um, Fast forward the Fed case, I ended up getting uh, federal probation and I had to get a job. They came by the studio a couple of times, it was like, Yo, buddy, you're not over here making any money. The studio smells like weed, you need to get a job. And get ended up getting a job at BT when we were over there at 106 and Park Metropolis. Yep. And That's it's not like bad. I wanted to, yeah. It's not like and you know what's so crazy because I tell people never judge a person because you don't know what a person is going through or why a person is there. I was there because I had to have a job you feel what I'm saying and I used to have to come downstairs every time my PO came and stick my head out the door and say hey I'm here and they would keep going so I didn't like what I was doing like you know I was uh what was called a digitizer I sat there and I sent videos down to uh to Washington DC to uh to be transmitted on air and i thought it was the most one of the most boring monotonous jobs ever and i was never the type of person to uh believe that i could have a supervisor that could tell me well you you're not back from lunch at 12 30. where the fuck you at like talking to me like belittling me like and i ended up staying there for like 16 years hold on real and, quick let what, me jump in marquan now yeah.
1: to tell that full story who was the brother that used to come and talk to you and be like yo man it's you did what I'm saying? Cause I saw you doing that and I knew like, yo, this dude got so much more that Mark Khan was bigger than that, but I saw your frustration. And that's why yeah. I just, you know, talk to you. and be like, yo, dog. It's, Cause digitizing that, I got it. I used to understand you first. I used to see it. Like, Real, yeah. when I used to see this brother, you know how you see someone, you know like, this ain't what he's about. Yeah. But you can see that in that frustrated point, you just be trying to tell him, like, be patient dog, your time yeah. is gonna come.
2: So I, I remember yeah. that specifically, your frustration being down there, doing that. The the, frust- the, the frustration was working with the company, and I, I'm not going to bash BET because I've, I've met a lot of good friends such as yourself, but working with individuals who was trying to uh, narrate what hip hop is. And they never been to the Red Parrot. they never been to Union Square. they never been in the jungle. You know what I'm saying? These guys got degrees from Brown University and and all these prestigious Ivy League schools and you're trying to tell me what hip hop is about. You know what I'm saying? I'm here just laughing, you know? I've been to the rooftop to the world, you know what I'm saying? I travel with my brother, you know what I'm saying? I know all these individuals that you guys are poaching, trying to get on your platform. I know them, I came up with them. So imagine sitting there every day, waking up Sunday, knowing that you gotta go to work Monday. I used to love it. I, I thought I was a little black boy that was gonna come through and try to change. What the narrative at BET was about. Then I, re- yeah. Then I realized that you know there is a ceiling here, you know, and um, the thing about it is you can become comfortable, and being comfortable is not a good feeling. You always have to stay uncomfortable. So you know, fast forward, uh, 2015. After being there over 16 years, uh, Viacom merged. Viacom merged actually in 2000. I guess when I got there. And it really merged where it became white faces and not brown faces, where it became uh uh VICOM HR, VICOM Finance. It was no more BT Finance, BT HR. Wow. It was all becoming VICOM. That studio where that had brown faces, or that uh th- those cubicles, it started changing and changing. And that's when I realized that you know friends are. That's a word that you have to really, really have to say what it means because you have. For, we all work in a, a world of freelancing, right? Freelancing where we don't get any health insurance. The only thing that keeps us well is robitussin. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Drinking robitussin and and rubbing alcohol. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? So we all were grinding, and um, after 15 years, I kind of got duped. You know the, the the supervisor. His name is Stuart Bruton. You know what I'm saying? He told me to come into the uh, to the uh we had a we had a team meeting right i went inside inside the team meeting meeting room and when i walked in there it was his supervisor and hr and they were like you know thank you maquan for all these years and all these services and my my buddy or my friend when i realized we just really don't have any friends in this in this playing field where we are working at was like yeah there's no more there's no more work here good luck and they gave me $4,000 severance. Wow. So with that $4,000 severance after serving 16 years of you know just working faithfully for this company, developing ideas, you know, we didn't we didn't uh, close any deals because you know it was it just wasn't the right fit. And I wasn't going to sit here and let somebody I guess manipulate my IP. You know what I'm saying? I was smarter than that. You know what I mean? And I always thought that I wasn't that, that guy that just sat in the corner and just was able to punch buttons, you know what I'm saying? And I know a lot of people that came through BT that are successful, like Lena Waite. She was a, a, a transcriber and a PA, you know what I'm saying? But you have to be bigger than where you at right now. You always have to dream big, and that's what I've always did was dream big. You know, yep. it might sound it might sound cliche, but if you dream it, you could definitely achieve it. So, fast forward, $4,000 and I'm, I'm back home trying to figure out what am I gonna do, you know? Um, you got an apartment in in the city that costs about thirty five hundred dollars a month. You're just nervous now because you you were comfortable, you know. Uh, BET was BET was letting go of people, sending grief counselors down to DC, just to console them because you don't know. After working twenty one years at a company, then all of a sudden you got kids in school yep. in college, you got mortgage payments. You don't know what to do or how to how to move and how to react. So. Um, I just had to tie my boots up and in your dark times, you got God in your life. And I said, you know what, I'm going to just, it's scary. I'm not going to lie to you. It's a scary feeling, but you just go out there and you pray and you, and you have to believe in yourself and nobody else does.
1: That's, 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 um, very interesting. Um, yeah, everything you're saying, like, I'm just taking it all in. Cause I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to be quiet. Cause you, <laughs> you know me, I, I, I'm like, dude, I'm, not, I'm not bashing. Yeah. No, it's I'm not, not about not. not wanting to say negative. It's just that this is it's like, we have similar stories. So I'm just sitting yeah. there. Like I it's a lot of this, I didn't know. And it's interesting because I was telling uh, Roger Maloney who's actually coming in right now that last night that you are an example of when people become successful that it's not necessarily the person that changes it's the people around them. And I said, yeah. I was telling Roger that I put myself in that category because when I was going through my whole thing dealing with uh my claims of sexual harassment from that vice president, I put myself in a self-imposed prison. So I thought everybody was against me. And the news yeah. became successful. I told Roger, I said I wouldn't even reach out to Marquand because I'm like, oh man, well, you know, everybody else is reaching out to him, et cetera, et cetera. I said, then by the, then by the time I reached out, I was like, I realized like I should have reached out to my brother a long time ago. But I changed. And I just assumed that you had changed. So I was like, well, he's busy. He don't got time. Just that the third time, you was like, bro, we've been friends boys forever. Like, and I'm like, yo. And that's when I was telling Roger, that's really ill. How a lot of times we'll put it on someone like you who you gained success. It's like, yo, Marquand changed. He's like, no, he hasn't. I <laughs> know he hasn't. <laughs> Everyone yeah. 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 changed. Cause I and I'm a victim of it, because I truly Kept my distance because I felt that everybody and their mom was coming at Marquand, and I didn't want anything. I just wanted to be proud of my boy, but I was like, "Let me stay back." So you know, as I'm listening to your story, I'm realizing like, wow, we were going through things, dark times around the same times, and I had yeah, no man. clue that you was going. I'm assuming you
2: still at BET. That's very interesting. Nah, not at all.
3: That's very not at all.
2: I had to. I had to really. uh I guess, like like I said, when you're going through dark times, you realize who your friends, who your family, the people that don't want anything. They just want to just check on you and say, hey, are you okay mentally? Are you okay physically? You feel what I'm saying? And when that doesn't happen, you start to realize who are your friends and who are not your friends, you right. know? But that's that's all good because it, it puts you in a zone and you need that clarity in your life. You know what I'm saying? That's not a bad thing. God puts things like that in your life for a reason. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I call um, it post-traumatic growth syndrome.
0: Wake up
1: call. Absolutely. <laughs> that's how. I call it post-traumatic yeah. growth syndrome. It's what I went through, and that's why I'm not a victim. And I think that's why people yeah. probably don't take me seriously because I'm not crying. But I'm like, nah, you grow from the situations and you, you
2: Yeah, you have it, to because you, you can be you can uh d- develop all types of mental illness and 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 your your body could physically break down and things yep. of that sort. What's meant for you is going to be for you, you know what I'm saying? And you just don't have to accept abuse. And this is anything in a job, in a relationship, or anything like that. And that was one thing with me, you know. I'm like, yo, this guy, these guys don't even know where I come from. Like, I'm the type of dude, three o'clock in the afternoon, I'm gonna fuck you up because that's the way that I grew up. You know what I'm saying? It's like (laughs) three (laughs) o'clock when the bell (laughs) rings. Three o'clock. When the bell rings, like yo, we could we can handle because we're both men and respect means a lot to me. No. And that doesn't make you that doesn't make you better than me because you went to way to, uh, an Ivy League uh university and I went to an HBCU. It doesn't, you know what I'm saying? And all I all I wanted was respect. And you, you and it, it's kind of hard because people walk with their head up high, you know. I got benefits, I'm an associate. You're just a permalancer, you know what I'm saying? So I didn't really vibe or gel with people of that sort. You feel what I'm saying? You know, I just focus and I like to keep people around me that has on the same quest, the same vision and the same narrative as I I have. Well, I think a lot of it, too, that I got,
1: especially in in big businesses, it wasn't that they didn't respect you. They did. Imagine, it's kind of like, I call it the Superman complex. There's a reason why Superman has to play Clark Kent. Because when they see Superman, either you fear him or you love him and when everybody knows when they have someone special around them so what you had to realize and what you didn't realize what a lot of us that roger had to realize or all of us had to realize is that you were a threat i was a threat to Stephen hill i knew everything he knew i was cooler than him better looking than him anything he could do i could do better you were a threat anybody that was a threat at bet to go and take over that's what you went through, but it wasn't a knock on the people. That's just, I've noticed. I work in the education field. I come in as a supplemental teacher. I have a presence about me. You put me around a certain group of children, they're going to listen to Mr. Bradley. I've had teachers, out of jealousy, make my life miserable because the children would listen to me and not to them. So I don't yeah, think what happened that time, you realized your power. You really knew. You understand what I'm saying? And then everyone else saw it and they reacted, but they reacted out of fear i saw it so when you first told me about you had this idea about bumpy johnson i believed it i was like yo he gonna do it i didn't know how he was gonna do it but i knew it was gonna happen so when i heard about your show i couldn't even call and be like yo mark want because i expected that from you you dig what i'm saying so i don't think you realize that's real and it was more out of fear i'm Stuart bruton this is what i've been doing i was in dc doing this i don't know nothing else here this dude come knowing people People that I'm a fan of, know Marquand, respect Marquand. I remember being at a party in a situation like that where um, this actor, this Cooper Gooding Jr. was introduced to Stephen Hill to me. And Stephen Hill hated it because it wasn't him introducing Cooper to me. It was Cooper saying, I know this dude Dave, you need to meet him. And that's what was happening with you. I went to high school with Wayne from Boys and Men. I got in trouble one time because he asked Penny McDonald to send someone to go get me so he could say, what's up? And I'm like, Penny, we wow. were high school wow. together. How you going to be mad at me because of that? So I, yeah. so I yeah. know what you were going through, and it was only because of who you were. <laughs> the difference between a king and a common man is the king knows his lineage.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I tell people I tell people all the time that uh, the loudest boos come from the cheapest seats. Like how you sitting in twenty how how you sitting in twenty dollars seats talking about LeBron ain't shit he got no jump shot the go, the goddamn beer the beer and hot dog man only want to walk up and sell you anything because it's too far you know what I'm saying too far like, up. it's too far yeah up. And, and it's the truth the loudest booze come from the cheapest seats you know and one thing that you also have to know in the business that we work in um and this is any type of business is you you have to make sure that you don't burn any type of bridges you feel what I'm saying. If you do want to burn a bridge, make sure you have a canoe. A, a canoe and a paddle for a strong current of water <laughs> that may come. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, No, that's true. That is true. That's true. And, that's true. and, and that's um, true.
4: That's like true. I said,
2: I, 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 respect, I respect everybody for what, they, what they've what they done. But one thing I don't respect is uh, cock blockers, I call them. Or people that are blocking people's dreams from happening or coming true. Or just all saying that this is all... Yeah, <laughs> offensive <Offense> line. <laughs> I want to use that, you know what I mean? <laughs> or, 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 Or people are just saying, this is all that you can do. You feel what I'm saying? And this is all that you can do. It's so many times that I've, I've, I remember working at BET and I wanted to audition just to be in talent, possibly, or do something as simple as a man on the street, right? Or a talking head. Where I go to VH1 and they bring me on, I've done tons of VH1 shows without going through the same politics that I had to go through working with my own kind you feel what I'm saying like i i i'll say loud i'll say, it louder, I'll say it louder to the people in the back nobody brown ever put me down you know what i'm saying so <laughs>
4: okay.
2: so it's the That's truth bad. you know you know, it's yo, the truth. It, it, it's true, like
1: yeah, yo, it's hundred percent it, that's
2: my that's my truth. It may not be anybody else's truth. It's my truth as you, well. It's it, my truth.
1: Okay. As a, yeah, as an actor, when I was in uh, the Negro Ensemble Company, getting my actor on, my theater on, and I was on Chappelle's Show. I was Dave standing. Dave, my first time on television was not from a black dude. It was from Colin Quinn from Saturday Night Live who fought me to get on the show. And it was never a wow. black person. Anytime it yeah. was not a white executive that I ended up in a situation with. It was a black man. So you were so unfortunately <laughs> due to proximity, you're correct. So so tell us about the godfather of Harlem and that dream
2: and how that all came about, my brother. Well, um, in 2000, I used to go up to Lenox Terrace and um there's a lady by the name of Margaret Johnson who's my godmother, and she used to tell me these magical stories of Harlem in the '60s. She used to tell me how she used to walk outside and smell fresh laundry hanging out the tenement window, or even walk past 125th Street and see James Brown's name on the marquee, or walk past Sugar Ray Robinson's barbershop and and see Nat King Cole getting a shape up. You know, just beautiful people, kings and queens, all in Harlem. But she also used to tell me about the uh, the, the systematic racism and everything that was happening, social unrest, civil injustice that was happening in Harlem. People were migrating from the South, escaping Bo Connors, dogs, and hoses, but still getting treated bad up in up in a place where you think that we would call our paradise. Like, for example, a hat store. Uh, a a African American had to put on a shower cap to try on a hat, you know what I'm saying? Because of racism that was happening up there. Or, or African American family, there was a steakhouse up in Harlem. I'm not, I, I don't want to mess it up, but there was a steakhouse in Harlem where we couldn't even get food served, we had to we had to stand outside while the patrons inside was eating. You know what I'm saying? In so Harlem? it still happened in, in Harlem, in the '60s. Yeah, because that's
0: fact. that, it was because, like that.
2: Be, be, I, because they told the story be, of Harlem like it was this oasis no black. People. No, it wasn't an oasis. The Cotton Club wasn't owned by a black individual. The Cotton Club was owned by Oni Madden, and it was uh ran by the mob. You feel what I'm saying? Okay. Light skinned blacks were the only showgirls that could dance in the cotton club businesses weren't owned by black people in harlem you know the west indians started started to start owning businesses we didn't own anything you feel what i'm saying okay. so she also used to tell me about her her grandfather slash father who raised her and he's from charleston south carolina his name is Eldrith raymond johnson and how he migrated from uh, charleston and he and he came up here because he wanted to become an attorney so when he went to uh, City College and spoke to the, to get financial aid, the uh, the bursar said, "We don't give uh, African Americans financial aid," and he said, wow. um, that'll be that'll be the last time you ever you you ever tell a black person that." So basically, he was like, "Watch what I do." And Bumpy wasn't just a gangster. I mean, he sat down with Maya Lansky, yeah. Frank Costello, uh, Vito Genovese, Bugsy Siegel, Lucky Luciano. These are guys that came out of Pleasant Avenue and he was allowed to sit at the table. And they didn't look at him like a nigger, they looked at him as a smart Negro who was able to be the bridge between East Harlem, which is Pleasant Avenue, and Harlem. And uh, there was urban legends that he uh, beat Bobby Fischer and Chess, uh, the, the Warden and Alcatraz said, he was the first colored person with the highest IQ he ever met, you know what I'm saying? So he wasn't just a gangster, but he was also someone uh, Well, Nelson Mandela has this saying, uh, people become outlaws when they can't do what they want to do. They're forced to do something else, you feel what I'm saying? And that's what Bumpy did. And um, she wanted the real story about her father to be told, not the uh, hoodlum story or the Cotton Club story or the uh, American Gangster story because he didn't die. He didn't die in front of 20 RCA TVs talking about blue magic. He actually died in my character's arm um, I play a character by the name of Junie Bird eating uh, chicken and waffles at this restaurant called Wells, you feel what I'm saying? So it's a lot of Hollywood embellishment and folklore behind him, but uh, she wanted the real story to be told of who he was as an individual that uh, was a historical figure in Harlem. Okay, give me one second, because I wanted to admit
1: um, actress Melanie King in the room because um, I wanna to, wanna to continue this story right here. Melanie, fix your camera. I'm fixing, I'm fixing. So <laughs> every, ladies and gentlemen, this is actress Melanie King from Geez the Wire. Mel, you know your wow. stuff. Tell everybody. Melanie know I don't watch your movies. That's how Melanie knows I'm a true friend. She could fall off tomorrow and David would never know. <laughs> no, Tell anybody what you, what, what you've done, please. We'll get a reel when we go to post.
4: We'll okay. Post. Um. Wow. Okay. So, well, the wire, uh, is, um, the first, um, sort of big thing that I did when I got here, um, to New York. And, um, since then I've done, oh my God, like tons of, stuff. I've done all rookie the long, I was on rookie, set. R- what rookie blue and Sandler's joint the week of. The week uh, with Adam Sandler and Chris Rock. um, third watch billions, uh, to, uh nice. Nice. Long story short, she's doing her thing everywhere. Like it, <laughs> I've been working. I've been working. Yeah.
1: And Melanie's here to discuss, we're going to talk about inclusion and the differences between being growing up in Toronto and coming to America and the significance of a BET and seeing her image. But, Mark Crown was in the middle of telling us, us his story because we're talking about the godfather of Harlem and you were at the part where you were speaking about telling the truth about where um how Bumpy Johnson really passed away so if you don't mind good brother
2: yeah so um she wanted the, the real story to be told about her her grandfather not the stories that like I said once again not the story of uh what hoodlum portrayed or American gangster or the cotton club you know she wanted the real story of who her father was and his, uh, what he meant to Harlem. So I made her a promise that I would go out there and make it happen. And she she passed away in 2016 Um, and I miss her. I mean, she was very feisty. She was a a, a loyal person. She had the Johnson bloodline running all through her, man. (laughs) And um, we had a journey together to make sure that this dream comes, her dream came true. That's dope. That's dope. That's so what dope, was
1: the my process? how long was the whole process just for people that don't know so because they think because some people think that it's, I have an idea I picture it a month later it's picked up it's
2: like, no so I took
1: how long was your process
2: it took me 18 years to get this project done um things don't happen overnight I mean we're in Hollywood where everybody has the best friend that's the shake who has 80 billion dollars with 20 million dollar slates and stuff like that you hear that every day all day you hear all of this you know what i'm saying so you have to make sure and be very strategic and align yourself with the right person like I, i tell people every check is not a good check you know what i'm saying that's to break it down as simple as possible so you align yourself with people who have the same vision and can actually execute that vision not someone that's just talking and it took me a while you know i had to navigate i had to go through my bumps and bruises i have uh tons of scabs in my knees, but i you have to keep getting back up until you find your um, your team that's gonna be able to help you execute this dream.
4: Yeah, people think that it's, you know, an overnight thing, overnight sensation. There is nothing. There's no Absolutely. such thing. There's no such thing. 18. Yeah, cuz
1: I've been waiting for Mel to do a movie with Nia Long for 10 years, yo, and I'm still waiting <laughs> so I can come on <laughs> set and meet uh, Nia it's Long.
4: Promising. It's promising. Mel. Wow,
3: yeah. what you wanna Early play?
1: What, what part you
3: wanna play, D? <laughs>
1: Well no, I just want to be on set to be around here long. I don't I don't want to act. My acting days are over. I talked, I'm too much of a director. I'm the worst type of actor because I'll tell you how to direct your own scene. So I said, Let me get back to behind the camera.
0: So you know.
4: Yeah, please. When he was on set for uh, backstage backstage back behind the scenes with me waiting to go on set for um the week of, I was like, David, stop. Stop, <laughs> stop telling
1: them how to do this stuff. <laughs> Look, Adam stole one of my jokes. I had an attitude. That wasn't funny though. I, yo, my quality hit me with the Jay Z joint. Yeah. You said it, but you wasn't using it right. And then he went on set and used it right. And I'm like, <laughs> but now, but so Melanie, yeah. um, I thank you for showing up. Mm-hmm. and I, I thought it would be very interesting because as an actress, you come from a different perspective. You come from Toronto.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So what, what, for you, what did you see was a major difference or was there a difference when it came to inclusion as far as uh, seeing brown faces on the screen or auditions and so forth and so on?
4: Oh, there is a, a huge difference. You didn't see brown faces on the screen in Toronto as I was coming up. There was no, and we didn't have as much American TV in, in Canada as we do now. So um, Good Times, The Jeffersons, like all of those things were not airing in Canada, so I was not seeing myself at all on on TV, and um, I just fell into acting because I loved it and wanted to wanted to actually do theater, and then ended up doing more film and television. But there was there was nobody that I could look to on Canadian television, and even today there is very few um people of color regular season regulars on tv in movies um that are canadian and it's funny because the two there's a series that i did um Mm -hmm. in halifax called Digstown that um they just finished uh shooting and airing the first season and they're waiting to see if they got picked up for a second season and it got picked up on bet so it's gonna see it's gonna have more eyeballs <laughs> in the states than it did than it did in Canada and you're actually on that show like to to actually get a second season and it's the only um show that is predominantly people of color in Canada so back
1: uh, off that mark I wanted to ask you was that ever like when you're doing what you when you are on your journey? Is that something that was ever actually in your mind you're like as a black person is it or was it all about your creativity or were you like as a black person I need to get this on or was it like as an artist
2: as a creative being I need to make this happen. I think to be honest with you it was more of me being as a creative being you know I, I got a thousand no's before I got one yes so I decided that you know I'm gonna keep knocking down somebody's door and they keep telling me no. I'm gonna take a trip over to Home Depot, buy some wood and build my own door. You know what I mean? So that's where I was at with it. It was just about me taking my my career and being able to control my journey. Until we started actually shooting, I wanted, me and Forrest, we sat down together and uh, Nina and uh, Chris and and we wanted to make sure that there was nothing but people of color on set. Here, not just on hair and makeup, but on an executive position, like head of here and mm-hmm. makeup, head of this, because we're telling the African American, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying. But I started off with trying to just create a platform for myself that no one gave me an opportunity to.
3: So, D, one thing that I can say, I can say about Mark Hunt, he he invited me on the set, and the set was amazing. Mark Hunt, talk about the gentleman who was a professor that you had on the team to make sure everything was authentic especially when when the Malcolm X scenes came up? Well when I, well, when I started uh, putting this project
2: together I did tons of uh, tons of tons of research at the Schomburg Museum and um, I wanted to make sure because I'm the youngest executive producer on the project that I bring someone in with the authenticity that was there at the time and um, I brought Professor James Small on and Professor oh, James Small yeah. yeah. is no joke. He's an African oh, American. He's an African-American historian. And he has a bunch of dope content on YouTube called Hidden Colors. And he was actually there. He knows about the black experience because he lived it. He he still breathes it. He still smells it. And he was able to become my mentor and show me what was authentic, what wasn't authentic, what was Muslim, what was the Muslim girl training how the nation of islam moved malcolm x everything that was happening in the 60s because he actually lived it so i wanted to make sure that we can be as authentic as possible by bringing him on board yeah, yeah. Professor that was
1: smalls, really quickly roger maloney for people that don't know that should know professor james smalls if i ran into him in the conscious community oh uh, but i used to go to 125th Street, hang out with the brothers of house of consciousness he is one of the most premier Africanist studies professors that's a lie I mean dr ben has, has passed away but that was very intense that was a smart move brother i like i'm impressed with that one
4: yeah i, I didn't
3: I
1: mean, expect that one so,
4: it definitely came through in the storytelling um as i was watching the series like first of all i learned tons of stuff just watching it and it, it just made it about humans and a human story and not not just the black story you know so it was it was it was very specific and so so kudos to you um for being able to be truthful and honest and tell our, and tell our stories in a in a compelling and an a amazing amazing way yeah, and, and I, I tell it
2: i tell individuals when you're telling a story you're pitching a story what how do you tell your narrative in one line what is your log line? That's what gets people interested. Mm-hmm. And our logline: collision of civil rights and the underworld. That's never been told before, because because if you look at it like this, right? The Harlem riots is our Ferguson. Colin Kaepernick is their Muhammad Ali. Everything mm-hmm. that was happening in these is happening right now. It's it's so parallel, and we were able to tell it in a different narrative that can that can uh, blend the contemporary with uh, with the past.
4: Right. It's interesting because my first meeting with um with Forrest, because I worked with Forrest on Deacons of the De- Deacons for Defense, Deacons of Defense. <laughs> and no baby uh, old project. I know. It's all for four. <laughs> I got one word wrong. Anyway, um, and again, that was a story of back in the sixties these group of men got together to defend their homes from the Ku Klux Klan. And um and so Forrest is, is has been a part of telling stories, telling Black stories. Um, I think that uh, for a very long time, and um, he's an amazing storyteller in that way. So, so was he? Was he originally like 18 years ago when you're thinking of who you want to play Bumpy? No, not at all. I mean, Margaret. It's so
2: funny if Margaret alive she'll be saying, you know, I want Michael Clark Duncan, the big black guy from the Green Mile, you know? Like, <laughs> you know, God bless the dead. She, she had no idea till six, seven years ago when, when uh, Forrest took me under his wing, like his little brother, and was like, um, see, Forrest never committed to play Bumpy. We had to make sure the script was right. And, And as an actor, as actors, we know that, okay, it's a great story, but we have to see how it's told on the pages. Yeah. So we committed to producing it. Mm, okay. and after we went through like 12 or 13 drafts of it being written by Chris Brancato, uh-huh. who created the series Narcos and yeah. Paul Exton. And uh, they did the, they, they, you know, what's so ironic, they did the original Hoodlum. But Hoodlum was told from the the uh, Harlem Renaissance aspect, the Cotton Club aspect, the Queen Stephanie St. Clair aspect. Right. We wanted to tell from more of a, a presence. Field when Bumpy came home from Alcatraz mm-hmm. so after 13 after going through 13 drafts and ABC Disney who have my who I have my deal with said, oh, what we like this draft and Forrest read it and uh my other partner Jim Atkinson read it and Nina Yang Bon Jovi read it they were like you know Forrest is like I'm ready to commit to play Bumpy and That's then, awesome. then uh, we thought we took it out uh, took it out shopping
1: that Man, seemed cool. like a role that he would that he would do. I actually it's crazy. I think Forrest Whitaker's greatest role that he ever played was in The Crying Game.
2: I yeah. It that. was to
1: me that's like the, I, and I don't know how he would feel if he heard me say it, that to him, but I'm like, it had, "Yo.
2: It had a lot of range. He showed mm-hmm. his range with The Crying Game. I think I think uh Eddie I mean when he played Eddie mm-hmm.
3: e, I mean the last thing. yeah, Eddie I mean, I me mean.
1: yeah. my move.
3: Yeah. I was about terrified that. in the movie there watching that.
1: <laughs> well, well the, the beautiful part of what Mark Quan was just saying as a show creator is I get a chance and opportunity to watch up firsthand Melanie as the actress and what she goes through, and I find it um, it is an interesting grind of being patient, and I think that's one of the things like that I tell my students that patience is a virtue. Don't judge your success by the amount of money in your pocket. Judge your yep. success by who deals with you. If that person that's really, really famous or really successful pulls you to the side, that's a mil- as Gilly the Kid would say, that's a million dollars worth of game because you can get. That's money a million not-
2: yeah. And you know what, Dave? What? I would I wouldn't even call myself the creator. I would say I'm the initiator for the process, because due to DGA rules and WGA rules, Chris Brancato is actually the person that actually created the concept and I initiated it, you know what I'm saying? I, I put spark under it and put all the pieces together. Wow. Well,
1: now here's the question I have to ask. As Isn't that powerful to get course in like your first project you ever do? You kind of know going in like, ah, is going, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know going in that as long as you have your credit and I guess the check is right. But other than that, there's a high probability your first project that you're going to kind of be pushed to the side
2: a little bit. Is that true or false? That's that's if you allow yourself to be pushed to the side. Okay. You know, it depends on your representation, who your attorney is, and what you're willing to sacrifice, and what are you willing to fold for. You know, you Go have ahead. to understand that your integrity and your, your your integrity is more important than this project. You know, um, I knew what what it was going into it, but luckily I have a great team that was like, no, he's the EP on it. He is the one who initiated. He carried this for 18 years he helped create this project and we all did as a team, you know, having somebody as as a Forest Whitaker who never kept me in the shadows, always kept me in the limelight with him and my whole team, we kept each other spiritually grounded and, and, and mentally grounded. You know, it it wasn't a problem. It just depends really on who your team is, man, to be honest with you from your attorney onto the, the creative people on your team. So I'm going (laughs) to assume Melanie as an actress. That's
1: the truth for you, too. So no wonder you kept me around in your life for so long, because you wanted to have a great (laughs) team. Hey, hey, listen, real quick. I got to tell the story (laughs) of how me and Melanie met, right? I think it's a great Me Too moment, right? So I'm doing my acting phase. I'm sneaking into this symposium. Was it Lee Daniels? Was it Lee Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Daniels. I'm going to sneak in the joint. I'm going to figure it out. So I'm standing in line to get on the elevator, and I'm thinking how I'm going to sneak in. And I happen to see this woman in front of me. She had these jeans on, and her ass looked nice. So I meant to just glance, but in mid-thought, I guess I ended up staring. So by the time I looked up, this woman is giving me the face of death. Like also Bernie mat, like some of a bitch staring at my like really, like the look of death. So but I'm caught, so I'm just like, so we end up upstairs. Melanie goes to the left, I go to the right, I find out that where i needed to be was where melanie was i run up to the front melanie has to be standing there Now i was about to introduce myself and apologize but then melanie had done a project i think we did and she was kind of hot so people were like oh melanie melanie so they pulled it to the side the woman looks up and she goes oh melanie i didn't know you had a guest but melanie didn't hear her. so now as an aside years ago i had watched an episode of martin and him and gina were going about how they met and and martin had forced gina to say that he was that he was her man to get in the party and i always joked and said if i was ever in a position i would try well lo and behold she she goes and you are and i go her man oh really well what's your name her man i go david bradley melody's not paying attention we walk into the venue we sit down i don't know maybe 10 minutes go by i feel someone tap me on the shoulder and melody says who the fuck are you you?" (laughs) in my husband's seat so i said i'm your man for right now so, just That's wrong
3: way. <laughs> so, so, then, <laughs> so, then
1: we go to an after party. Melody dips off. So, I'm thinking Melody's going to do her thing. This model's in there. So, you know, I'm trying to do my thing. And I meet this one model. Melanie, I don't even know if you remember this whole thing, but she got me back good. So, the model's talking and suddenly she looks at me with a with the face like, oh, and backs off. So, I'm hitting this. I'm looking around. I'm smelling my breath. My underarm like, what's up? I turn around, Mel got two glasses, and she like, oh, so you thought you were going to use me to get in this party and not hang around? She said, like, oh, no, remember, you're my man, so we rolling the rest of the night. And that's how we became friends. And I say it's a great Me Too moment because Melanie was, as a woman, humble enough to not judge me from the first asshole incident of me standing out of behind and not judge me by the second asshole incident of not apologizing and didn't even judge me on the third asshole incident of stealing her husband's seat so i say that to all the ladies out there just because you catch a guy doing a jerky ass thing like staying at your breast your ass doesn't mean he's rapey it just means he might have been being a jerky guy if you get to know him you suddenly realize 20 years later he's my friend
4: he's an asshole that you can love
1: yeah there you go that's me me and melody's story (laughs) the asshole you can love melody Everything Marquon said. Do you agree with that from your perspective as an actress? Is it the people around you? Like during the times when it gets dry, how does that go work? For you? How did? What do you do to keep yourself afloat?
4: Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Your family, your your passions, your your friends, your support system is has to be on point for you to survive this business. You have, because if you're dependent on your success or getting that next job or uh, whatever, um, then you're gonna have a lot of dark moments. So you need to have, I've always felt you need to have a life outside of this business to be able to survive this business. So yeah.
1: So what's some (laughs) of the craziest jobs you've had, Mel, in between your acting gigs? I know, but I
4: (laughs) Yes, I'd like make that a lot pepperoni pizza extra cheese, please. Yeah, exactly. I had very interesting moments um delivering pizzas. Um, because there were a couple times where I was recognized for different shows, and they'd be like, you know, you look so much like so-and-so from The Wire, or so-and-so from uh the famous Jet Jackson, or so-and-so from Rookie Blue, or you know, and I, you know, and there was like a part of me that was like, okay, I could just lie and be like, oh no, that I don't know what you're talking about. Or, you know, oh yeah, no, I'm I'm doing research for a part or you know, something like that. And you know, I was like, listen, this is the real deal. This is what happens. You can be on a hit show and then a couple years later be delivering pizzas, y'all. It
1: sounds good now, y'all, but Mel called me like, I ain't doing this no more. <laughs> And y'all know me. I'm clowning the whole time because it's funny to me. I don't know no. I don't know what else to do but laugh. Because Jordan's playing. Mel was like Melvin. I ain't doing this no more. Somebody recognized me? I said, "What do you think was gonna happen?" You, know, you better come on in with me and be a substitute teacher. Feel good about yourself all day long. The children looking up to you. But, so Marquand, what about you? When the times when the times were rough, brother, how how was it with you? Well,
2: what I do is, uh, you know. I'm a creator and I keep creating projects. Like, you know, I have a slate of over 12 projects. So I keep my agent working, you know, right now I'm in negotiations with another project. You know, I just try to stay as hungry as possible, you know, keep writing, keep creating. So when that opportunity comes and they say, what's next, what do you have? It's not like, uh, uh," you know what I'm saying? And you start stuttering, you feel what I'm saying? You know, Mm -hmm. I've been fortunate enough to know like, okay, godfather harlem is doing very well we're we're about to start up our second season but i i still hustle like like i never had anything so if you ask me what's my next project i can name 12 projects that i have right now that i have my agent out there going hard because if 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 they if i don't get paid they don't get paid you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. so the thing about it is to stay creative don't don't look at it like you made it or you know this is it you know what i'm saying because it could it could be taken away from you uh as in in a minute's time
1: so how was it for you during the uh pandemic, during the quarantine era? Was was your creativity, and I'm gonna ask you the same thing, Melanie, was your creativity at an all-time high, or did you find yourself stunted a little bit because of the No,
2: situation? actually actually to be honest with you, my creativity, I didn't lose a step during the pandemic, other than we were supposed to start shooting in April and we got pushed back in November, right? But during that pandemic, I was still creating. Don't, don't people are still buying things people are still buying properties because you have your content is key that's how hbo keeps going and showtime keeps going they're going to figure out a way the thing about it is for you to keep creating you know what i'm saying so during the pandemic it, you know i got a chance to exercise read a lot eat sea moss drink water and honey and right. mind my, my business <laughs> <laughs>
3: Mark Juan, what's that? What's that phrase you always said? You can um, you can follow your passion and and to avoid your pension. How'd you phrase it? What was the phrase, Mark? No, I said I say this to people at all time. A lot of people
2: want success, right? But success is subjective because you know, are you ready to eat tuna fish sandwiches? Are you ready to eat ramen noodles? Are you ready to uh, sleep on somebody's floor because you can't afford yes. a hotel? Are you ready Tomorrow? to take a buddy? Knowing that you have a meeting at Netflix on Monday, and you're hoping that they have uh, a room for you to get on that plane to make it because you can't afford a flight. You feel what I'm saying? So I tell people all the time, that's what success is. If you're not willing to do that, or you willing to chase your pension or your passion, it's up to you. I wanted to chase my passion. I wasn't going to wait till I was 60 years old to finally say I'm able to um, uh, enjoy life. I'll wait till i'm 57 years old and get pancakes half off with my aap aarp card you know what I'm saying? You know, i wanted to i wanted to be able to say you know this is what i want to do you know i want to chase my passion and that's that that kind of defines people when you're out there you know that you have no safety net if you mess up you landing on the cement you know it makes me feel alive you know what i'm saying so i tell people all that today you can chase your pension your passion it's up to you
3: yeah,
4: people, people will always ask me, um, you know, well, you know, during the hard times, do you ever think of quitting and doing something else? And and I'm like, there's nothing else that I'm passionate about. There's nothing else that gets Absolutely. me excited and wanting to get out of bed. And I've done all kinds of other Joe jobs to support my passion and, the, and I can't imagine doing anything else. So it's just this is what it is and i have to figure out how to make it work and there like you said there is no there is no safety net there is no um plan b this is it and yeah melody i say that
2: i say that all the time melanie i don't believe in a plan b because Mm -hmm. if you have a plan b you already know your plan a is about to fail you feel what i'm saying so i don't believe in plan b's you know Mm -hmm. I, i i i tell people all the time that there's no there's no bunk beds in the graveyard when you leave this you leave them by yourself there's no like Mm -hmm. okay it's time for us to go No, it's time for you to go (laughs) you know what i'm saying (laughs) you have to always think like that man i look up to people like um like uh uh charles dutton who went Mm -hmm. went from dale to yale you know Mm -hmm. uh tim allen who was the white boy that was selling cocaine That got locked up for two years. Home improvement, Tim Allen, right? Home improvement, Tim Allen. Allen. You know uh, Samuel Jackson, who had an an addiction problem. You know Eric Bishop, A.K.A. Jamie Foxx, who was living in his car. You know dreams can come true, but you have to stick to it. You know you can't. Nobody owes you anything in life, and when you start to realize that this person doesn't owe owe me anything, this person doesn't it, it, you owe yourself it. So you're your own biggest you your own biggest obstacle when you look in the mirror so, mm-hmm. and i told i told myself you know i i went out and casting calls all my life right and i always was i would just you know there is a, a black casting uh, director click trust me i know about that right mm-hmm. and um there is a black casting director click and you may not be part of that lee daniels click or that will packer click you know what i'm saying or you know you just, or or that or even that Tyler Perry clip. you have to you have to find your own mold and make it. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. And and go about it and, and go about it doing it yourself. You you have to believe in you. Right. Even as an actor, I had to audition for my role. And I'm an executive producer on the show. But... Oh, hell, yeah. hell yeah, you got on. Yeah, but, but you know what I'm saying? And I, and I tell people that, they said you have to audition for... Yeah, I had to audition. You know, and then both networks have to fly down and look at me in the dailies and say, yo, he really has chops. Let's let's renegotiate his contract. Get his lawyer on the phone and let's make it happen. So nothing was given to me, and I and I appreciate that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Even throwing lines back and forth all summer with Forrest. You know, Forrest is like, "Whoa, whoa." You know what I'm saying? So you learn. Just just make sure when you're in that in that position that you are ready to perform. You know what I mean? Because when you when you're in a um when it's lights camera action and you you're. You're out there with John Carlo Esposito and Vincent D'Onazio and all these veterans, Forrest Whitaker, Paul Sabino, you can't look like a dare caught in spotlights. You got to perform. That's what you're right. here for. That's what you waited for that moment for. You feel what I'm saying? Right. That's just like you go and fight Tyson and you didn't perform. And soon as he, he swings, boom, you're knocked out. You know what I'm saying? You got to be able and, to right.
1: perform. And, and, and as an aside, right. Melody, Melody, that's why I was proudest of you when we were on the set for um, the week of. When you were playing Chris Rock's wife because you blew him out of the water. Like you were Adam Sandler and Chris Rock and you're not a comedian. But you got up there and you did your thing. And I was like, okay, okay. Because I'm thinking that there's going to be a little bit of nervousness. And you got up there and I'm like, yo, there's nothing you can say. So I've been, again, I've been fortunate to watch Melanie's journey. And we, Melanie's heard every harebrained scheme I've come up with. I think every other month I call Mel with like, yo, Mel, this is it i got it and then it fails i I don't mel doesn't see me fall every day and i've seen mel fall we you know so and everything you're saying i love it because it's true because i feel like that's the journey that melanie and i have been and i've watched her and you know except i don't watch the shows but i'm not a tv watcher
4: so at all yeah no I, i mean i can't i can't step on set and not be ready i'm there for a reason i'm there because i'm supposed to be there and i'm not gonna um, I'm not gonna waste my shot. Basically, you know. Okay. So it's so, um, so
1: yeah. No, I'm I'm there to do a job. And that's what's dope. Listening to Marquand coming from the creator aspect, and then me knowing from the actor aspect that everything he's saying is like, yo, I've actually watched you do this, and I've watched you in real in real time perform this. So, but I want to get back to something that you brought. We brought up earlier. We were talking about the uh, the clicks for the um the casting clicks. I hear a lot when we talk inclusion and Rael and Roger would tell you, I'm kind of the kind of person. I'm kind of the person that will say, I believe in self responsibility. I don't really believe that we need to yell and scream as black people at Hollywood and go, you need to hire more writers. You need to hire more this, you, you need to hire more that because I look at black America and I, and I look at the entertainment industry and I look at even an institution like BET and I've often said, when one of us gets on, how can we don't go back and get the other people? It's almost like everyone, if you're black you have to be v1 and you can't have anyone else around you unless they already made it and i'm going but that doesn't make sense because i've worked production in mainstream television and watch these white dudes go get their friend who ain't know what the hell he was doing he just hired him and said no just stand by me and learn but when it comes to being black we act like you know i gotta have an oscar for an indie film that with no budget <laughs> you understand what i'm saying so um I'm, I'm, I'm,
2: so from your perspective have you seen that Mark and thank you i can say this right and this is bigger than just casting directors and acting amongst us as a community we have tribalism amongst us you feel know what i'm saying and that's what kind of hinders us from growing you know um when i was doing research for the godfather harlem when people from the south migrated to harlem right They migrated, but they split up. So you go to 145th Street, you'll see all the cats from North Carolina in one bar. 135th Street, it'd be all the cats from South Carolina in another bar. 125th, all the cats from Alabama, Florida, Georgia, and so on, right? So if I walk into a South Carolina bar and they're all beauty colors and they have a certain uh, culture, right? They were called slaves that had no slave masters, right? And I can explain that to you if you want me to explain that.
1: That's part of my culture, the D.C. Gillard. Okay, so you, walk,
2: so, so you walked in, they're very conservative dressing, where a guy from Alabama may be loud dressing. You know, they eat rice and gravy. The way they talk to each other, they carry raisins, you know what I'm saying? So tribalism is really amongst us. Even going to the HBCU, and when you watch that movie School Days, yeah, that was really happening. Light yep. skin versus dark skin. Working at fashion mm-hmm. with television. That was really happening. Light skin versus dark skin. Light skin looks better on camera than a dark skin person looks better on camera. You feel what I'm saying? Yep. So we have to we have to really work 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 amongst us and work what we have to work out. You know what I'm saying? And I see that even in the industry with casting directors. Like, for example, Melanie, I don't know if you ever experienced this, right? You mm-hmm. could be a beautiful black sister that walks into a casting director's office and you knock it out she can have an attitude because you know what you might look better than her she might be intimidated by you or she might have had a a, a bad day or she might be an actress that never or actor that never was able to be able to do what you did in front of her so she's like it's like going to the lady at dmv you're like oh god devil, i don't got all my points <laughs> You know what
4: I'm saying? so things like that really happen right yeah i mean it's interesting and and i don't know if i um, my energy is different coming from Toronto, coming from Canada. I, I have, I have actually not, um, I spent a little bit of time in LA and I went in for, um, uh, my God, I can't remember her name cause it was so long ago, but it was a, a black female casting director and it was actually for the Steve Harvey show and um i went in and i was not used to doing comedy so my my read was more dramatic (laughs) than it it needed to be and she like basically took me aside and said listen i can see that you have talent so what i need you to do is go get a coach go get a comedy coach and learn that timing and i'm going to bring you back so she gave me like another chance and you know and i've you know gone in mostly because most of the black directors are in LA and I'm in New York. So most of the time I'm not in the room with them. I'm, you know, it's a, a self tape, but I'm, you know, they're calling me in. So I, I haven't really experienced that, um, that type of animosity or that type of, of, uh, um, stoppage, if you, if you will, that, that you're talking about.
1: Not but just, you see, but you being from Toronto, Melanie, I've always said it. There's things that go, would actually go over your head because it's not from your culture. So you don't see it. There's times when you've not seen things. I've been like, but because right. it's not from your culture, it's you do not, not it's know not to look out for that. Yeah. yeah, you do not yeah. know to look out for that. But I think like I've been where I've been like, assisting or directing on a casting call. And I always tell actors, don't go up in no casting call thinking that you're going to kill it i've seen the director would sit right in your face and go great job man that was really good the moment you walk out he throw that door on the side so i tell him like yo go in do the best you can to just walk on out because if you go on that door like i think i really killed it no you didn't there's a high probability <laughs> and, and i tell him if the director's not paying you attention that's when you should feel good about yourself if he on the phone while you reading that means he's probably paying attention to you so it's a, so it's all very interesting because it's because it's so subjective and that's Mm -hmm. what i've always said about this industry that makes it difficult is that you're not really judged on how good you are you're judged on whether that person likes what you look like or what you have said to them or what you're wearing that day and it it makes it difficult that's what makes it so defeating and uh, for people that don't make it i think and that's what makes it so grand for people like yourself that do make it because you're told no every day every Mm -hmm. single day
4: yeah, I mean I was I was, I was surprised. I mean, I was pleasantly surprised but shocked that I got the week of as a dark skinned woman playing playing Chris's rock Chris Rock's ex-wife. I was like, Oh, this is going to a light-skinned woman. There's just no way. <laughs> you know, I'll go in and you know, whatever, show myself show myself, show my stuff. But I when I got the call, I was like, Are you? Like, what the? Like, seriously, you know, because it's just, and I had locks at the time too. So I was like, what? They're going to hire this woman with locks? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: You, you,
4: <laughs> you, came in, you came in power to the people. <laughs>
1: hey, look, Roger, I hey. was happy because I was like, yo, can I borrow $200 from you now? I was happy to debunk. Like, <laughs> oh! <laughs> we made it, so, baby. We lost some money. So I was
3: happy as so, hell. See, let me. Let me, let me transition and talk about Quan in front of his face. I remember Quan used to be in the, um, in the studio, and this brother literally mapped out his life. See, you, Raj. when I get on, bro, I'm, when my movie hit, this is going to be like this, it's going to be like this, it's going to be like this, and we're going to roll out like this. Rog, you with me? <laughs> He's like, yeah, I'm with you, kid. And Quan's personality will start stretching your imagination to be great. It, you, you, you When we when I walked on the set of, of Godfather Harlem and he took me in the back to see all like from executives, craft services, everybody really focusing on our project. That was that was deep, man. And I and I really appreciate them. That Mark, I just want to thank you for that. That was amazing, brother. On, thank Don't you so on. much for that.
1: So what? Cause you've been on the set. You done said it like five times, Raj.
3: That was big, man. What's going on, that, Roger? Deep, man. That's a beautiful thing, man. That's a beautiful <laughs> thing, I'm, man.
1: Over I'm over here hating. I'm over here hating. <laughs>
3: hating Whatever. I hating, said. Or... I said. I told Mark. I, I said, let me catch you early because when the entertainment Tonight's in the um, breakfast club interviews coming, I just want to get them early. That's, that's all. Man, I was just trying to jump ahead. That's all. See, Mark, cool. what
1: I'm saying—how people would—that—cause de- I, I had a similar i told you earlier—I had a similar thought process of like, "Yo, my man's, body blowing. He ain't got time to talk to me right now, dog." See what happens? You didn't change. We start thinking things of that nature, and then we find out we're totally wrong. You
2: feel no, I I, 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 I'm, I'm not like that. Good people are good people, bro. See, the thing about it is this, right? People are scared to say that you, you can say that word, no. You don't have to say yes to everybody. You feel what I'm saying? And it and it it shocks me how people are scared to say no. You know, and I say no a lot. You know what I mean? It's because <laughs> I do. Like, you know, when people say, Well, can you can you find out they're casting? No, because that's not what I do. Can you uh see if they got a ro- No, that's not what I do. You know what I'm saying? There are things that, you know. When when you know when Rod says yo I want to come to set to see I don't see nothing wrong with that you know you giving him an opportunity to see something that he may not have been able to see you know or or will not be able to see who knows you know what I'm saying so I don't say when when people start asking me ridiculous questions that's when I say no man you should see how many people just DM me on Instagram or hit me up and say I got this wonderful idea I got a story about this drug dealer no you know what I'm saying <laughs> I'm not scared to say no or, uh, or send you to my agent and she loves to say no you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's well what about you melody because i know even as friends i like i do that with melanie melody. when melanie's on a major project i leave her i don't call her at all and maybe i'm wrong for that but in mm-hmm. my mind i'm like yo you busy we family you mm-hmm. know and it's a rare time that i actually asked to go on set i don't even know why i ended up on the, the, your, the your week of oh I know why because I want to do some background work and then they got then I cheated but I just hung by you all day not <laughs> <laughs> paid for nothing <laughs> matter of <laughs> fact I took the PA job he got mad at me because when Mel you know Mel's the moneymaker so when she the moneymaker
2: I'm the PA I'm my behind Melly to hold her ballot what you need yep. what and she's she the she she moneymaker. And- and- Yo, she's number two on the call list, that means a lot. You know what I'm saying? That <laughs> oh, <laughs> means a lot. Listen, that's right.
1: Yo, that's my job. Listen, Marquand, that's me, dog. Who the, who's in? I'm always with my fam, that we, when we're crew, we're doing all this, whoever's closest to the door, everybody gets behind. Melanie's closest to the door. I'm her PA on set. I get that water. I hold her shoes. I hold that bag make sure she's where she's supposed to be. I'm just, you know what I mean? So that's just how we're supposed, that's how I do how we're supposed to go. But Melody- but that's are how, you he's how you're supposed to build.
3: That's how you're supposed to learn and build.
1: Yeah, yeah. So Melody, my question to you is very similar to uh, Marquand's. How do you take that? Like when you have friends and family, you're doing your thing, it's no easy for you? Um. Well, the
4: thing is, is that yeah, <laughs> I mean, my friends, and family, first of all, are not—they're not, they're not uh, those kind of people. So they're not asking for things that that are ridiculous, or you know, or they're not asking for anything. Usually, I'm the one that's like, I want to do this. I want to do this with you. I want to do this for you. I want to do—you know—do this. You know, I have friends who are directors that will ask me to be in their shorts, and and I'm like, of course, you know, if it's a good script and it's a good story, I'm 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 going to support. You and I also get to do what I love. So it's a win-win situation, but as far as like people asking me craziness, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, with DMS or, or on social media, I just basically ignore it. Most of the time. <laughs> because
1: oh, so that's why you return the text for that money. I need it. <laughs> I'm family. You could have told me no Mel. <laughs> what? I don't ask Melody for money like that. I don't ask it for money like that. I didn't get that <laughs> text All right, so and then I I don't I try to stay away from social issues. Yet yeah, I have to say, with a project like Godfather of Harlem Marquand, with what we've seen, and you did touch on it earlier, but I want to rehash. With what you see going on today, has any of that affected the creative writing process going into season two?
2: Oh, absolutely. Um we had we were actually like 10 scripts almost 10 scripts in where there were certain things we said we can't address it like that we have to go back to the uh to the um to the drawing board and i'm glad you know i'm not glad for COVID 19 but it worked in our favor that we can go back and just change things that we felt that needed that might have been too uh sensitive for what's happening right now you know what i'm saying um we try to keep it as authentic as possible from the uh through the the language, through the words and things of that sort, but sometimes we, I, you know, I let them know, Forrest lets them know, like, maybe we need to back up on this and do it this way. Maybe the, this story needs not to be told so hard, but we need to do it that way. One thing we don't want to do is open up, uh, open up wounds that haven't been healed, that haven't even wow. scabbed up yet. So mm-hmm. we're very careful. That's why I brought Professor Smalls in, who's a very, uh, a great consultant who says, you know, Let's try to ease up in doing this, and let's go do it this way. You feel what I'm saying? Because you know this is a project about real historical figures and things that really happened. And the beauty of The Godfather of Harlem, the way we're telling it, every season will be an epi- Every season is a year. So season one was 63. Season two will be 64. Season three, when Malcolm X dies, will be 65, 66, 67, and, and Bumpy dies in 1968. So these are real historical things that are really happening, and we try to we try to tell the stories and so so parallel to what's happening today that we understand it. From the Me Too movement to the LGBTQ movements to the civil rights movements to everything that you're seeing happening right now is happening in our story. The Harlem riots, James Powell gets uh, killed. Look what ha- look what happened. Look what you see every day, young black men getting uh, gunned down by, by 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 the police or police officers. So these are stories that are relevant to what's happening now and just bridging the demographic from the demographic of the young kids to, your, to the demographic of our age, to the demographic of your mother and your father's age. You know what I'm saying? So, wow. yeah, good.
4: Yeah, and I think, you know, the story that you're, te- you're telling it through, it's kind of like, um, it's what The Wire did so well as well. It's like, you're, you're taking these big issues and, and making it a personal. So it's yeah. personally seen through Bumpy, through his wife, through his, you know, his older daughter, through um, Malcolm X, you know, a human being. Yeah, absolutely. an iconic figure. I and- mean, at the,
2: at the end of the day, you know, we're not glorifying Bumpy Johnson. We're, we're glorifying a man that was trying to change. Exactly. Bumpy, was a, Bumpy was a heroin dealer. There's nothing to glorify about that. Just cause you bought, you bought the neighborhood book bags and you sent them the great adventure, you still were a drug dealer, you know? Right. But he was trying to change.
0: Mm-hmm. Malcolm
2: was trying to put him on that path to change his life. And as you see the seasons go on, you'll see Bumpy trying to change and a black man fighting for what he, just, what he knew, the only way to make money is trying to change and help the community.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you well, saw like, the choices that he made with yeah. with uh, Muhammad Ali. Absolutely. And, you, know, you know, like it was like, yeah, he was getting more conscious about. But I'll,
1: it. Say, I'll say one thing. I think that you did a great job casting the brother playing Malcolm X. I think I really Oh man! Yeah, he, the
3: show. he was amazing, so, Mark. So
2: I'll tell you. A, I'll tell you a little secret story about that fun fact. So Nigel is a great friend of mine, is a good friend of mine, man, and um when they were doing casting, you know, I don't do casting, but I was on the casting calls because people kind of look at you funny when you're in the room and you're an actor and you're an EP. It's like, we want you, we just want you to talk about the EP stuff right now. We don't want you to talk about the acting stuff. Right.
4: Mm -hmm. And
2: our casting director, I kept saying, bring Nigel Thatchin, bring Nigel Thatchin. And I kept getting so much pushback on bringing Nigel Thatchin because he was in Selma, and he played Malcolm and he already played that role. Let's get somebody else and you you'll be amazed by so many people that came in for the role of Malcolm from mike uh from michael ely to um it was rumors that even chris it was even rumors that Chris rock wanted to try to um uh don't laugh, D. Really? I'm
3: just trying not to, you know. I'm trying not well, to. D, you know. D, trying D, not to my bad. My bad. Hold on. Get it right. Get I mean, it right. Get straight. Go ahead, say, brother. D, it up, D, don't, don't sleep on Chris Rock. No, 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 no,
2: no, no. Because as an actor, Melanie can understand, you know, I studied Miser, and we have, you're supposed to become part of that situation. It sounds funny because you see Chris Rock in your mouth. Know, by any means necessary, God damn it. You know what I'm saying? You know, so I you can see it. him doing it, I don't just don't think I'd like it. You do him it. But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, I wanted, I kept pressing Nigel for Nigel to come in. It was like maybe about four weeks and we were down to the wire. And my showrunner said, hey, Marquand keeps saying, Nigel, bring Nigel in. I Because I kept harassing him and harassing him. And um, one day I was standing in front of ABC. It was about 95 degrees outside. And um, Nigel comes out of a cab with the full Malcolm X garb, the overcoat, the hat. Respects, the suit, everything, walked in the room as Malcolm X. When he walked in the room, I walked in, I sat with Forrest and I sat with uh, Chris and I sat with Jim. He went over and said, How do you how do you want me to want me to be over the top? How how do you want me to stay below? And Chris was like, Stay below. Let's see, let's let's keep it natural. And he killed the role. And now every time they see me, they be like, Thank you, Marquan, for um pressing so, this. Yeah, pressing that.
1: I have one more question about an actor because i actually enjoyed him in luke cage but i do not remember the brother's name
2: oh my gosh he played oh that's um, my that's my that's my part that's my uh he plays the lieutenant that's my partner um eric le harvey he plays Del chance he plays Del chance yeah yes i remember when i saw him i was like yo that's my man from luke
1: cage i never seen him anything
2: else he's a he's a he's a d he's from he's, he's african and from dc man he's a great person a great human being man yeah, and, I
4: actually have a the, well, not a sixth degree, a total direct connection. When I first came to New York, I did a play um, where we had to. Um, there was like one main role um, throughout, a male role throughout the entire play, and then the rest there was like I think three women, and we all played all kinds of different roles. And Eric was that man. That's yeah, nice. we went on tour together. Yeah. It
2: was it was amazing. Yeah, now, he, Eric. He's Eric is an amazing, yeah, he's a, he's an amazing human being, brother, you know, and um, I've learned a lot from watching him, you know, and, you know, it's it's so good when you're on the set with actors that have no egos, and if they see you slipping, they'd be like, hey, 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 let's do it like this, you know what I'm saying, they see the uh, mistake that you can make, let's make it happen like this, you know what I'm saying, that's the team to me, man, from Elvis, Elvis Malasco to, to, um, to Il Finesh, to Antoinette, to even Demi, who's playing young Margaret to, to, the, uh, to the veterans. You know, we all uh, we all come together. We all help each other. Yeah, I'm, Marcon, I'm what was the name of the, actor, think, the young lady?
3: Wait, say that again, Robert. Oh, sorry. Who, was the, who was the name of the young lady who played Bumpy's uh, daughter? She was amazing too. Ant-
2: Antoinette, Antoinette Pro yeah, Legacy, yeah. yeah. She does. Yeah. and this is her first uh, major role. She just came out of, uh, uh, she was in Yale, Yale drama. Wow. And um, wow. yeah, she's really dope. When we when we saw her come in the room, we knew that was our um, that was our um, Elise Johnson. From how she just broke down and her her range, her depth, her character, you know, it's so crazy. Because as an actor, I'm, I'll tell you something. I was just I was just in my apartment watching the Five Heartbeats with the Five Heartbeats. Meaning, I was sitting there watching mm-hmm. the Five Heartbeats with my boy Michael Wright. He plays Eddie Kane so wow. i'm
4: sitting
2: so i'm wow. sitting here i'm sitting you know how dope that is i'm sitting here with him because wow. he's like a mentor to me he loves me to death and he's singing i got nothing but love for <laughs> you baby oh you know what i'm saying and um he 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 always tells me acting is just not coming from here it's no such thing as a small part like denzel is the only per- denzel said he's the only person that he's scared to be on camera with, because Michael is so dope with what he does. He can act when a light hits him just with with his face and his movements, you know? You could tell a lot of story with your eyes. Mm -hmm. People don't realize that, you know what I'm saying? So Mm -hmm. I learned a lot from him as well, you know? That's just a fun fact. That happened like the other day. I was just hanging out Here's with him. a
1: question, Marquan. It's funny because I I have a direct a link, but my link with Michael Wright is two degrees of separation because I was in a uh, Negro ensemble company and his best friend OL Duke was my instructor. Yeah. And Michael would come God bless the, the dead. Yeah. Michael would come to the classes from time to time. And he was um very intense. He was always a, he was a very intense guy so then let me ask you someone like him what do you think what was the reason why you did not see him as much in productions because i thought he was very good now was it a, a type cast thing
2: Was it a typecast situation because i kind of kind of compared to leon where it's like Can, I, 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 I can't i can't answer that question you know because um i don't know what was what was going on with michael what as far as his work with the work ethics or what was okay. going on but um. I know he was just in Black Lightning, and um, he's an amazing actor. I mean, yeah. I could sit here; he could just tell a story just by looking at you and twitching his lips. It's just like, wow, you know, he knows exactly yeah. what lights he needs to hit him. If it's a uh, it, what lenses that needs to show uh, to bring out the best of him, it's it's crazy, you know. Yeah. You know, a lot yeah. of times, like when you're on set, different people create different ways when it comes to acting, like. Vincent D'Onofio he acts with his hands you know he moves around with his hands that's how he tells the story with his hands right John Carlo, he goes left to right like he's sparring in a ring with you so mm-hmm. he might it might be like so for example it, it may say red light green light and he said t- he turns it to red green light red light or something like that and you have to come back and hit him like that wasn't in a that wasn't part of the script you know what I'm saying so uh-huh. and Forrest <laughs> is very Forrest is very intense like He's miser all the way. Like he just takes it. He becomes part of it. You know, Mm -hmm. when he's bumpy, he's bumpy. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, so these these people have different techniques that I just started. I started learning. Like Chaz is just like Chaz. He becomes and that old Italian mobster because those those are that's the role that he's he's been playing for the majority of his life. You know what I'm saying? So he knows how to bring that intensity out to make him a believer. Paul Sabino. Man, he sings opera during our breaks. You know, he's like, oh, you know what I'm saying. He's amazing, amazing guy. So you learn a lot from watching different people.
4: Yeah, and you know, I wanted to add too that it's also you don't know what people's journeys are, right? Yes, yes. They're supposed to bring to this, to this, to this path that we're on. So what, what looks like, oh, you know, how come he hasn't been in that much stuff? Is actually. What he's supposed to be like—he was supposed to be doing whatever he was doing—and you know, so it's not like he didn't. Yes. Um, he, he didn't. He didn't do what he was supposed to do.
1: Well, I'm he taking was, it from the aspect of this dude is better than 85% of the actors that I'm forced to watch. I'm, I'm You know, that's what it's like. It's like watching somebody. Like you're going. I'm watching the the game and this dude that don't never play, but he's better than everybody on the court. And I'm going, Coach, what's up? Like, what? what and that's how I feel about Michael Wright.
2: I'm forced to watch less than him. And I'm like, well, this dude is right here. But it also was special. If Earth, Wind & Fire wouldn't be special if you heard an Earth, Wind & Fire album every year, right? You look forward to hearing an Earth, Wind & Fire album. Like, right, oh, right. They, they, they're about to come back out. So it, it's almost like every check, like I said, is not a good check. You could be a person that says an actor, I'm not going to say his name, but he's in everything you see. Mama stole my mouthwash, I'm in it. Uh, the broccoli went bad, I'm in it. You know what I'm saying? You know, boys in the hood three, Doughboy boy lives. I'm in it, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> every goddamn thing. And you like, ah, so you have to make sure the choices that you make are subjected to who you are. You feel what I'm saying? Because who knows, Michael Wright might say, that's not the right role for me. So 10 years later, when that right role comes by, he wins that, he, he wins that Oscar, you know? So you just don't know
1: that's dude that's what i was um getting at it's interesting because i heard i heard this conversation i think former wwe wrestler dave batista and they were comparing him to the rock and that's what he was saying he's like the rock takes every role he said i'm to be an actor it has to be something that i could dig my teeth into so he was like no disrespect to the rock but no i'm not interested in being in bumblebee and fast and furious 25 and i was like so it's so when it hit you said it's like wow okay i get where that's coming from cool excellent like I said, i just wanted to know because i think the brother has chops like a mug. And I'm like, why am I forced to watch someone less than you? But if you tell me that, well, from that creative process, well, with the well, with the, well, well, with,
2: the well, with the Rock, you know, he's in a franchise. So once you right. get in franchises, you know, you're, you're you're forced to be. You're part of that franchise. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about yeah. individuals who just, yo, my man is doing uh uh across 588 street blocks or something like that, and I'm yeah. in it. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about. You, you take roles in depth, like he's rock the rock is part of a franchise, so I can understand why you see him in different in different uh, films all the time yeah well I think and then too- and then to get somebody and then to get an actor on television, and I think melanie, you could you could agree with me it's very rare, like this is Forrest's first TV role mm-hmm. i mean uh, his first uh a premium cable TV role you feel wow. what' I'm saying. So that means that means what an actor commits to that, he can't do anything else. So you have to really be say, you know what, I want this. Because now
4: you're putting your career on hold for this particular project. This is a story I want to tell for years and years and years. It's gonna take up a huge part of my life. Exactly. Uh, Yeah. I have to go. I have oh, my have to roll out now. My grandmother turns ninety six today, so we're doing a big oh, wow. well, happy, like so. uh, happy birthday, birthday call.
0: Happy birthday, grandma! Your
1: grandmother tolerated you your her birthday. whole life. All right, <laughs> what did you say? It said your grandmother tolerated you for about forty some odd or ninety some odd years. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, that's yeah. a
4: beautiful All thing. Right, whatever, whatever. Then. Family loves <laughs> you. I love you. Thank you I so love you. much. Mel. All right, it was so great Thank meeting you. everybody. And, Good luck. God,
1: Good mom, luck. Melody Nichols, King. But, but Marquand, uh, uh, Roger, do you have any questions you want to ask? You came in as usual. But
3: Marquand, right? Epics, Epics must love you because you really brought them a nice, uh, a nice, nice franchise show to really build off on. I have a,
2: uh, I have a great relationship with Michael Wright. Michael Wright's the president. And I have to say, I have to say with Michael Wright, um, he believed in us. Uh, when everyone else turned this down he was the one that said you know i'm the visionary i'm the visionaire. we have money to get this and make this happen and this story needs to be told so you know we are epic's highest rated show you know they went from having 500,000 views a night to 2.5 million views with us and then when the pandemic when the pandemic happened uh we just acquired nine million more subscribers to the epics uh the Epic brand so um we're very excited because we, our our journey wasn't to be on a Netflix or an HBO or a uh, Showtime. Our journey was to be where we're at right now because we're treated as the golden goose over there. And we're able to be able to tell a story without going through the politics and, and the bullshit you might've got lost in, uh, in, in uh, anywhere else. I can agree that's with that look, because
1: the story is complicated. And that's why I think Forrest has done it such a great job because it's funny. The way he portrays Bumpy actually gets on my nerves when he deals with his woman, because I'll be wanting him to be, it's, uh, and I love the dynamic. There's times I'm looking like, man, because he, the way he portrays Bumpy is clear as day that the white, that his wife or his his woman is a major mainstay in his decision-making. And so well, sudden, well, I find well, myself frustrated. That's what I know to actually doing a good job. When I get frustrated with you, like, not frustrated because you suck, but frustrated with the choices that you're making. That's when I say, yo, Forrest has killed this because I'm all invested. Get annoyed because I want him to go left, he going right. That was like the most, that that was the,
2: I don't know anybody that could have played that role better than what Forrest has done. Well, you know, you know, a lot of guys that I know from the neighborhood that came home from doing a lot of time, 20 years, 30 years, 15 years. When Forrest had that, uh, that conversation, when he first came home from jail with Il Finesh, You know, when she said, you know, before you touch me, I want you to tell me how it was on the inside. That's a real conversation that men have, you know, you know, being lonely in a cell, you know, breaking down your, your humility as a man, you know what I'm saying? You can't do anything to protect your woman or protect yourself. You know what I'm saying? That's why it was so realistic having that, uh, that conversation.
1: And that's exactly, it's funny that you knew exactly what I was talking about. That was that whole conversation. It was intense, and I was getting annoyed with it because I'm like, Man, just talk. (laughs)
0: You
1: know what I'm saying? So it's funny. You knew exactly what I was talking about. And he, you got that. I'm I'm just proud of you. Like, I'm at times, it's almost like, Great show, great show. It's so cool to watch, you know. And I'm not a TV watcher, so I didn't watch the full season. That ain't nothing personal. That's just David. I'm not a huge teller. I make sure everybody around me watches.
0: I don't watch TV either, but that show was dope. For the first time I seen it, I was like, and then it had the continuity just kept going on and dragging you in. by each story you made. You want to see it the next week. And that's being real with you. Yeah. It's a good show. And thank continue, you, brother. I wish you continued success with that show. Uh, cause thank you, you took the paradigm of what they think about, um, writer, black writers about writing, killing and all this gangster and drug. You took it and you turned it around. And it's like, you, when you, when you watch it, you got the story that you feel, cause I'm from New York also, the story that your family told you, it kind of coincided, like you said, with what, was said to you, and I was like, "Yo, this is." It was written real well, you know, and that's my perspective on it. Thanks, bro, for that strong show, man.
2: Hey, thank well, you. and You a know,
1: quiet hand, y'all have a lot in common, actually. You were roadies. You
2: half of the story he told, you can relate to it because yeah. y'all have a lot in common. I like y'all E-P-P. E-P-P. No past. Oh, so you know, so I, I'm going to tell you a funny thing. Who's who's like my uncle Bernard Alexander? No. Bernard is the reason. Bernard is the coach and Bernard I, I I you know I know Bernard I know Johnny Johnny Smith Johnny's my guy from Brentwood we have a, a he has a shoe line I'm partners with with him um Eric Sherman in Paris, man I I I was on the road with Al B all those guys man um uh it, it's so crazy that the knuckleheads you know Yeah and actually, Tommy Jay Yeah Bernard Bernard actually I was sitting in my apartment and i said to him i said you know i got a great because he knew about this story for a long time and he he gave me an alley-oop to my partner and we put this together and you know but a great person
0: yeah I, I met them through um jamel eric sermon cousin yeah, from i know, jamel, I know,
2: I know jamel yeah. from brooklyn absolutely so he the one yeah. who put me
0: in him scratch uh fendi the, the did fendi, mark quest those are like my people
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. I know Fendi. I know Fendi. I know Marques and all them guys. Actually, I saw Marques um, in the park. They they were dancing doing house music at Washington Square Park. Him stretching a whole bunch of other people like a couple of weeks ago.
0: You know, that's the thing we miss now in the business is the unity amongst each other. Because back then, everybody tried to work together to create one. You know, go after one common goal. It's like now everybody want to be the king and want to step on the next person to try to get their success. <laughs>
3: They're fighting over Instagram DMs
0: now. Well, yeah.
1: one thing I did want to say, I had no clue that Father MC was your brother. Yep, that's my oldest brother. First damn date, bro. I had the that's single. The first temp wrap, they huh? yes. oh, oh, yeah. I want to be true. That's my shit. and Mary J. Blige. And he will always have a place in my hip-hop heart for, them for introducing me to Kyo. I... Yo, I Bro, I had
2: that,
3: I wasn't a single, dog. It was a white single, it <laughs> They don't give me due
0: respect, man.
3: Everybody's <laughs> style. everybody yeah. Yeah. style, man. He had the background dance no first I no idea,
1: that was a brother, bro. yeah. yeah. though. That's, yeah. that's respect. I was a huge fan. I was a huge fan. I had them joints. That used to be my joint, because that's it. I'm a Jodeci fan. So oh, actually, when I heard them dudes, I'm like.
2: Yeah. I'm actually on that first single he has called Father's Day on his album. Now if I gotta listen to it again. If you listen, oh yeah, what? My nickname, my
3: nickname is Silk. <laughs> that, that somebody told <laughs> me. I'll, I'll never hit, call you Silk. So if you if you hear the word One, Marquan, we will never call you Silk, Marquan. No. I'll never call you Silk. I'm, I, I'm a grown no. ass man. Can't do that. No, no, <laughs> no, what, yo, yo Silk. <laughs> call
0: him
2: Silk. man. No. What I'm trying to say is that if you've known me for a long, long time people call me silk you feel what i'm saying because yes. that was a nickname and that shows when somebody says if you're with me and somebody say what up silk that's because they know me over 20 something years you feel what i'm saying so if you listen to any of his records and you hear silk that's he's talking about me or that's dope. I'm father i'm on this or oh, the first single father's day
1: well this is what we want to do we want to get ready to ra- roll on out but again because for is more personal it do not matter what your show was. I was always proud of you, because you had drive. You's always, I remember uh when I was working at Chappelle. Yarelle, Roger, I was working at Chappelle's show, right? Coming back from set, driving the Q truck one night. <laughs> and I'm on a corner, He's I just like, baby. I look up, it is my quiet I don't know what part. Look, I'm part of the Q truck. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that time. I'm part of the Q no, truck. Said, we went said said y'all partied all night. <laughs> Because you was there, because Tweet was there. You were friends with Yeah, yeah. she was yep. there. And I'm like, how you recognize me in this cube truck? But well, fuck it, homie, I'm in the party, where we at? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where we at, yo. So I'm so proud of your drive, my brother. You haven't changed. You've had the same energy, same spirit. I'm proud to say that back then. Like, I didn't know your history. I didn't know anything about you. I just knew you was this brother that had a frequency that I rocked with, that I respected. That i saw so i'm just extremely proud of uh, again it don't matter about this show to be honest with you. you could have been telling me like yo i'm in the community and i opened up a new community center and the way i feel inside is exactly how i feel right now so my brother I, we are here to give you your crown you a legend and you being a legend don't got nothing to do with your show you got it has everything to do with the person that we always knew i talked to roger about you me and roger got the same we two different men that got the same view on you as a human being so i salute you my brother i honor you i'm proud of you um i wish you all the best and i apologize for not reaching out way early i just you know me being foolish thinking you too big but i said i do with melanie and that's my daughter's godmother <clears throat> me going ah oh, he's busy but i'm just extremely proud i can't say it enough so i'm gonna stop extremely proud of you my brother
2: thank you kate <laughs> you. you guys have a great weekend Thank you want to get my quorum? Peace, thank brother.
1: Touch. My brother, I'll talk to you soon. All right, peace. peace. Open up my window again. Open up my window again. I can hear death calling my name. I can hear death calling again. I swear to God. Thank